the Mortal Yogi podcast with me, Dougal Meacham. This is the first time I'm doing this on Instagram, so um, we'll have to figure things out. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to work. What I'd like to do is uh, allow the comments here for people to be able to ask questions and stuff. The format of uh, how this is uh, going to go is... Uh, hey Sabine, yeah. Morning, cuz. <laughs> hey, Amy, how's it going? Uh, yeah. So the the format of this um, is, you know, we have an hour, up to an hour, and uh, we can sit here and uh, just kind of uh, chat. I got my cup of tea, very Scottish, uh, Scottish brew. Um, apparently, that's a thing. Um, so uh, we'll sit for just a few minutes to kind of begin off the session. And then today I'm going to fly into uh, chapter 19 of the Tao Te Ching. And then I got a couple of questions from people around um, range of motion in yoga, people with double joints, people who can hyperextend. I'm just going to blow that discussion out into uh, bigger, uh, like into what do you do with people who are very, very bendy um, in general? Is bendy good? Is bendy not good? Um, all this kind of stuff. And then I got somebody, uh, I think it's Andrea. Yeah, Andrea asking a question on, like, do I, I'm, I'm finding I'm, I'm not getting bendier over time, but other people are. What's with that? How come I don't seem to be getting bendy? So um, pull up a chair. Uh, I was going to say pull up a Prosecco. I think it's a little bit early in the morning for a Prosecco, but pull up a cup of tea. Here we go, something like that. Pull up a chair, pull up a, whatever you lounge around in, and uh, we'll spend this next you know half hour, forty minutes an hour, whatever it takes, depending on how how uh, how much of a discussion we have. Um, we'll begin by sitting for just uh, I'm gonna say five minutes. So please pull up something quiet, something you can sit with a relatively straight spine, and uh, we'll begin like that. You can close your eyes if you like. Rest your hands on your lap. Soften your eyes and your face. And simply begin our time together 
by noticing that you have two aspects of your mind. You have a thinking, creative mind, forward plans, reminisces about the past, wonders what's going on in life. Your intelligence, if you like, traditional intelligence. But you also have another aspect of your mind, simply experiencing what your eyes tell you, what your ears hear, your nostrils smell, your mouth tastes, your skin touches. We fetishize and prioritize normally the former one. And all of these practices of yoga, from whichever tradition, discipline, style, family, brand you come from, we all share this Beautiful practice, however we do it, pranayama, meditation, simply surfing between these two aspects of ourselves. Just notice this. Okay, nice. Slowly relax your face and your posture. There we go.
Okay, so, uh, so um, as I said, the format of uh, these sessions, whoa, is uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about one uh, chapter of the, of the um, how many chapters are in the whole thing, over 80 chapters of the Dao De Jing. This is my favorite copy, if that might be back to front, it's Lao Tzu's Dao De Jing by Red Pine. So just Google Red Pine and Dao, Dao De Jing and you'll find it. It's kind of, I like it because it's got uh, the Chinese and the uh, English in there. Um, so I'm a bit of a, you know, Taoism nerd, so that's in there. And uh, even if like I'm studying um, Indian philosophy and stuff, I will also try and find the Sanskrit or whatever's in there. I'm just a language nerd, so that's me. There are lots of versions of this book out there. Another one I really like is Effing the Ineffable. Uh, it's a pretty free uh, translation of the book, Effing the Ineffable. And it's a great book to put, book to put by your toilet and read a chapter or before you go to bed, uh, or whatever like that. Um, and today, uh, we're going to dive into chapter 19. Chapter 19 is the 19th chapter, not a surprise. And... Uh, uh, it's all really about one Chinese character. It's really about one character. And the Tao Te Ching, you know, it's Asian philosophy. It's Chinese philosophy specifically. Um, but I think there's a big difference between kind of Eastern ideas and philosophies of the world. You know, you take the big the giants like Freud and Jung and Descartes and all these guys and Greek, um, uh, Greek-influenced uh, philosophy and Asian philosophies. There are some major um, worldview differences between these two uh, just right, out of the, right off the bat at the beginning. And um, so I'm talking about the Tao Te Ching, but there are, um, and I'll try and throw these in, there are ideas from other traditions like Patanjali. If you're a yoga person, you've done Patanjali in your yoga um, teacher training. Or you like Patanjali as a system uh, of thought. There are a lot of similarities in these. So I'm going to try and throw these in um, where and when I come. So the chapter, um, you know, uh, first off, this book is over 2,500 years old. Uh, one of the questions I often get thrown at um, by people in the teacher training is like, when we come to the philosophy of people, <laughs> people are like, they're anatomy nerds or they're philosophy nerds. And you can tell them like the philosophy uh, nerds like at the front of the class, right at the beginning, like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Philosophy, way. And uh, then the anatomy people are like, oh, it's the philosophy time of the training. And they go up and they, and uh, people, people actually fall asleep in this kind of stuff. Um, so I get it. Why do we have to study? Like, why do we have to study two and a half thousand year old books, dead people. And the simple answer I think is, well, they've been through the whole of their life. This guy, uh, Lao Tzu, literally means the old baby. I like his, I just like that name as a, like as a philosopher, the old baby. <laughs> I guess it's kind of my, uh, I'm a little bit feel like an old baby myself. Um, but he's, you know, he lived old and he was a wise guy. Um, I don't think there's any priority to reading dead people's um, books, but I think uh, some of the old books, garbage, throw them away, um, like old 
some of the old Beano's from the 1980s, some good, some not so good. Um, other ones are jewels, and I think this is a real jewel, Patanjali is a real jewel, and so there's some good stuff in there. I'm not going to directly translate um, the chapter from Chinese into English, because I think it's, it's too dry. It's uh, fairly deep, I mean, I mean opaque. It's fairly hard for people to understand uh, this kind of stuff. So I'm just gonna, uh, I'm gonna paraphrase and riff off of what he said, because I speak Chinese and I can get straight into the stuff. And I hopefully, um, my translation helps you um, understand the text a little bit. So I'm gonna read out the Chinese first, just to give you a sound of the language. It's only five lines. Um, because much of the much of Asian philosophy in general is very poetic. Um, like you know how this happens in any language. Like yesterday, I did a Yin class where we read Dante, um, the Italian uh, poet. There is something to verse and there's something to poetry, which I think cuts straight to the point of what so much philosophy is about is that it kind of makes you stop and good music is like this good art is like this it just kind of makes you stop and everything else comes to a standstill and you look and look at a piece of art and you just go wow wow look at that look at that and uh Good music, as I said, is the same. Good food is the same. Anything which is really good and makes you stop has done its job in that it's made you forget all of the trials and tribulations and trifles, trifles and trifles and truffles uh, of life. And you're just there with that piece of work or that piece of art for a moment. And so the, I, I believe when all of these texts were written, particularly in Asia, they're meant to be poetry. They're meant to, and they, let's not forget, these texts, um, and the Dao Te Ching is a good one, they weren't actually written down. They were orally transmitted. Patanjali was the same. Uh, Buddha's teachings were the same. They were not written down for hundreds, if not thousands of years until after the teacher had had uh, passed away. And they were passed down in song and in verse. And so the, uh, the sound of the words themselves are uh, in themselves part of the teaching. Like listening to Dante without the music, for example, sometimes. It's just not the same as Dante poetry on its own. So, here we go. Chapter 19 Jueshengqi 少思含欲 Okay, there's the Chinese lesson. Now here's my uh, English riff off, the, off of that idea. 
This is kind of my 2020 uh, paraphrasing, if you like. Give up being a saintly badass. Abandon being a smartass. Everyone will be better off. Give up ideals. An abandon should do. And everyone will be more real, more compassionate. Give up making things better and abandon your love of bling. What can they steal from you now? But all this is superficial crap. Let's cut to the chase. Let's get to the core. Observe the universe's dance and bear hug your baby simplicity. This chapter um, is really about one character. And I think to, to make it simple, I'm going to write it down for you. Because Chinese characters are little pieces of art in themselves. It's a pictographic, many of the pictures are, many of the characters are pictographic. So I'm going to write this one character down and show you what it means. Make sure I get it right since I'm in public here. Okay, there we go. You see? So the first part of the character, maybe you got it the wrong way around, but it's okay. That is a picture of a tree. You can see like the big trunk and then there's kind of the horizontal beams there. And then there's kind of the, the leaves or the branches coming down. This is a picture of a tree. So it's something to do with wood. Every Chinese character which has that in it, got something to do with wood. Japanese is going to be the same. So the kanji characters you see uh, with wood in them, it's going to be something to do with wood, chopsticks, uh, carving, a cup, cups used to be made of wood, that kind of stuff. So there you go, that's gonna have wood. And then here on the top, this is kinda, kinda abstract. You gotta get, uh, whoops, you gotta have, knock stuff off my wall, you gotta have, that's made of wood, just landed on my head. <laughs> Okay, so I'm <laughs> still alive. So, uh, there you go. That pit there, right on the top, that's a picture of the four fingers of the hand. Maybe it's the thumb across there on the bottom. So it's to do with... Um, yeah, thank you, Chris, still alive. So, it's to do with a hand picking something to do with wood. And then down the bottom there, this part here, that is just a random collection of like firewood, firewood on the floor. So this character is pronounced Pu, and it, it's the simplest kind of junky firewood you just find on the floor. It's just, you know, like I live in a part of Edinburgh where I can pretty easily go down and uh, it's okay, Nadine, don't worry. It's, uh, 
the, yeah, the character only around one free one doesn't make much difference. Just get the idea. So I live in a part of Edinburgh where I can pretty much go into woods, walk around, and uh, and see and and see nature, which is pretty nice. And you know how you never you go down into you go down into like a river or you go down into a forest. The idea here of pool is it's sometimes trade and translated as simplicity. Like if I go down and I look in my Chinese dictionary, the word is simplicity. And that's kind of the idea, but it doesn't really get it. So if I go down into my into my forest and I wander around, you know how you look at a tree, you look at a, a piece of bark which has fallen on the floor. You never look at it and go, poof, that piece of wood sucks. You never look at it and go, well, you know, that, or even you really look at a tree and go, that tree's just grown all wrong. Has no idea what it's doing and it's ugly. It's an ugly piece of tree. The wood or the bark on the floor has simply fallen off or the, the, the sticks are simply there and they, they're just kind of as is if you like there's nothing being added to it there's nothing being being made to make it complicated to try and kind of um, contrive in a way to make it better than it already was and this idea of it's sometimes translated as poo as the uncarved block like before before an artist takes their chisel and hammer to the idea uh, or to the piece of art they're going to make and they sit there and look at the kind of the the raw materials before they go this idea is central to so much asian philosophy if you actually think about it it's central to so much philosophy. If you think about um, uh, Patanjali, for example, and his eight yoga limbs, he has yamma, niyama, asana, pranayama, prajjahara, um, dharana, dhyana, shamadi. So in the first one, the yamas, things about keeping yourself clean, not stealing, not desiring stuff and all this kind of uh, goody business. In there, right in there, one of, the, one of the ideas is saucha, often translated as purity. But I would say that this idea is kind of close to that. Like, let's not complicate things. Let's not, let's not, let's not, you know, overthink the idea. Let's not try and do too much with it. This is the idea of pool. And in my translation here, if I, if I were to... If I were to go back. So the first couple of lines, give up being a saintly badass, abandon being a smartass, and everyone will be better off. Give up ideals, Ide uh, an abandoned should do, and everyone will be more real, more compassionate. Give up making things better, abandon your love of bling. Now what can they steal from you? Because this is all superficial crap. Let's cut to the chase, let's get to the core. Observe the universe's dance, and bear hug, baby simplicity. Baby simplicity. 
look at a baby, <laughs> at least parents look at a baby, and most babies look at parents look at the babies and they go, oh, so cute, so cuddly. I had a friend recently who's had one. It is actually pretty cute and cuddly, and everyone's looking at it and go pretty cute. And, but it's babies are so simple. There's so much potential. There's so much kind of innocence to their idea. And I would argue that this idea of just kind of raw, unadorned, non-contrived, non-intellectual, and this is a big one, non-intellectual simplicity is at the core of most Asian philosophies, whether it's Confucianism or Zen Buddhism or Mahayana Buddhism or Theravada Buddhism or whatever. It's a very, very simple, but I don't mean like in a dumb kind of way. I mean, if you think about our meditation at the beginning, there are these two aspects of your brain. There's the kind of the thinking and creating, like how can I make my yoga business this and that, and how can I go here and do that, and how can I get into these complicated poses? But then I, often as a teacher, I see this a lot. People are quite surprised sometime in their yoga journey, like, yeah, the poses and the flow is complex, but in here I'm suddenly like, I have this time where it's just unadorned, just like no noise, quiet. And that's what this Tao Te Ching, um, chapter 19, I think is all about. There are three principles in here, which Lao Tzu says you should give up. One is, I paraphrase, is give up being a saintly badass. I think in yoga we have this, you know, we're seen as the more saintly and spiritual you get, the better life will be. Give that up. Number two, he says, give up being a smartass. Often in life, in our education system of our kids is kind of like this. We think the more we know, the better life will be and the better we'll be able to handle life, get through life, etc., etc., etc. Lao Tzu says, no, forget that. Intelligence of that kind of traditional type is not necessarily going to make you better. It's not going to necessarily make life better. The last one, the last ideal, he says, basically give up making money and being, uh, and, and being rich and all that kind of stuff. These three things, he says, are, are going to help you. It's very similar to uh, Patanjali's uh, yamas and niyamas in his eight, um, in his eight uh, limbs, or however you want to call them. But then he says, that's all kind of good stuff. But if you want to just make it really, really easy and get cut straight to the point, he says, bear hug. That's my words, not his. Bear hug, baby, uh, baby simplicity. Other translations would put this embrace uncarved simplicity. Another translation I like from that book, I, uh, from Francis Breer's Effing the Ineffable, he says, come back to the center, listen to the still, small voice in your heart. I like that. It's very, very cute. It's not exactly textually accurate, but I think it gets the spirit of what Lao Tzu 
means. Um, have I got one more translation? Ah, uh, yeah. So some more kind of um, old school says, be the uncarved block. Be that simple piece of wood, like that simple piece of wood that you kind of found on the floor or the, the simple tree that you found on the floor. Be simple. The message of this whole chapter is, I think, this is my thing, so I'm going to give you my think, is life gets complicated. Life gets, particularly in a time, you know, COVID-19, all this stuff, you got time to sit down and nothing happened for simpleness to be in your life. And most people freak the hell out. They, they have no idea what to do. And we are not comfortable with that, this idea of the simple life. And Lao Tzu says, if you want to be, this book is, a whole book is on Tao and the, how to live life with basically minimal effort. You could say that's what the whole book is about and find contentment, find happiness. He's saying, drop almost everything. I'll give you a little story about what's happening in my family, in my house right now, um, as an example of this. About three weeks ago, um, I decided, <laughs> and I put it to the democracy of the family, uh, that um, it would be a good idea not to have any lights uh, for a month. It's getting quite light now, like uh, it gets dark about 8.30 p.m. and it gets light about 6, 6 something in the morning. So I said, okay, well, why don't we try having no electric light? So after sundown and before sunrise. So uh, right now at 8.30, we have no electric lights on. We have no, um, no, that means no artificial light from smartphones, TVs, anything. And uh, quite bizarrely, most of my family, there are four of us in here and two, two cats and a dog. Everybody went, cool, great idea. And we had no idea what we were getting into. Um, but I just thought, I was looking uh, you know, around, around dark and nightfall, what our family was doing. And I had my wife on her kind of Kindle with a backlit screen. I had my daughter on the iPad, my son on the laptop, and then me somewhere else. And we were all just looking at light. And then we were going to bed at totally different times. Like my son was getting like 1 a.m., my daughter like 10 p.m. I'm kind of early as well. My wife was somewhere off. And we weren't really talking to each other. Now we've got no electricity. It's very interesting. Like we've, we've actually started, we bought a couple of candles and we're kind of like cavemen or like hunter-gatherers around the night fire, kind of around the candle. And quite amazingly, like no one's complaining. We, uh, we, we seem to have like this fewer distractions. Like we can't go on YouTube, can't go on Netflix, can't read this, can't read that. And I have to say, like my daughter's, and this is her exam year in school, and my son's coming up to his exam years in school, and life was intense. Life was stressful. Um, I have to say that, you know, we're three weeks in. We've got one week to go, and we're debating on, uh, we're going to start debating this week on whether we're going to extend it. But our evenings have got way more simple. Weirdly enough, like three nights ago was a new moon, 
it was totally dark in the sky. And we sat outside just kind of looking at the sky. And nothing, nothing big, kind of profound happening. But we seem to have, we seem to have come closer as a family, closer as a unit of people. And things just seem to have got like this, like this, oh, who's using my Wi-Fi? I'm watching a movie and I'm downloading something and someone else is streaming something. It's like these little, little uh, disharmonies and fights happening. And a lot of that's gone. So it's very interesting. In a way, by kind of dumbing down life, we have found that we're actually a fair amount happier. I highly recommend it as a kind of, if you're, I think most of us are facing at least another couple of weeks of lockdown, um, certainly uh, social distancing time, I highly recommend it. Try that as a simplification strategy. No lights, no, uh, no, elect no electric stuff with the heatings on. If you're in Asia or in a hot place, like the air conditioning can be on, but no artificial light. I think it's, uh, it's gone really well for us. I think this is a, an amazing uh, kind of aspect of this idea of pool. So there you go. Go look up Lao Tzu's Tao De Jing chapter 19. Look at a couple of different translations and see if you can find that the inspiration in there that I also do. Okay. So um, this is way past halfway in our time together. I got a couple of questions that people have been sending me. They wanted me to ask, have asked and have me take a shot at. Um, so I'm going to do that right now. If you've got any more questions you want me to talk about, go ahead and throw them into the chat there and uh, I'll see what I can do. The first question that I have comes from actually two people asking the same question in a very different way. Now we're going to get out, totally out of uh, philosophy into very, very practical stuff. Okay. So, what they're asking about, both of them, is range of motion in yoga. Like, what I hear them, one, is, one of them is asking me, is like, what do I do with hypermobile people, hyperflexible people, people who got a massive range of motion, who can do the really, really big poses, uh, double-jointed people, people uh, who are able to dislocate their joints. What do I do with these people? That's the way one girl's asking this question. And the guy who's actually um, one of my TT students right now, he's saying, someone's come out and said that you gotta be really, really careful at end range of motion and, um, and, and yin yoga is bad for that. Well, without getting into that conversation, I wanna have a very simple conversation about range of motion in yoga. So. I've drawn two circles like this. They're overlapping. So, and in one of them, and I know it's, I've mirrored this, so this is first down. I've just written R-O-M in the top one. There you go. Range of motion. And uh, then uh, in the other one, I'm going to write, Health. Now, again, I know that's the wrong way around, but hopefully you get the idea. I'm writing it like this 
Because in yoga, yin yoga, bikram yoga, ashtanga yoga, vinyasa yoga, power yoga, whatever yoga you're doing, so often we are led to believe or we find that either between the lines subtly or not so subtly sometimes, we think that range of motion makes you, the more range of motion you have, the better a yoga person you are. Like you can do the deeper poses and there are advanced people. And that's me doing my, my speech commerce there. There are advanced people who can do the big poses and there are the beginner people who can do not any of the big poses. And only the people who've got the big poses have the right to be yoga teachers and to be able to, uh, to, to teach and to be able to explain to other people how to do poses. And everyone else is kind of beginners. And they often say, I'm throwing this around, they often say that the more you, the more you practice, the very famous saying is practice and all is coming. And there are then, you know, like even Ashtanga, there's, there's the primary series and the secondary series and the third series, etc., etc., etc. And the more you practice, the deeper you'll get into your poses, the bigger they will be and the more advanced you'll become. And I want to say straight up that that is not the case. We have a fetishization of range of motion in yoga. We have a massive misunderstanding that the bigger poses you do, the deeper you go, the bigger your Hanumanasana, your forward folds, the more you can touch your toes either forwards or backwards, then the more advanced you are spiritually, emotionally, physically, etc., etc., etc. And I want to say, no, yoga, that's not the case. Sometimes... More is better than less. But my little chart here that I'm throwing up and it's back to front, so apologies for that, is that range of motion and health overlap, but they are not the same thing. If anybody who was more enlightened or spiritually higher or better at anything had to have great range of motion, then that would strike the Buddha off. That would strike anybody in who does Qigong, the Chinese um, spiritual exercises, and Tai Chi off. They don't go deep into yoga poses. That would strike off Mahatma Gandhi. That would strike off Barack Obama, who, whoever modern day, Oprah Winfrey, anybody you see as kind of spiritually superior and i would say anybody who lives like take the japanese fishermen and women who kind of um, free dive for seafood and stuff and live up to a hundred and whatever none of them are doing urdhva dhanurasana and uh handstand and uh etc 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 so i want to say range of motion and health overlap but they are not the same yoga people. Getting deeper and deeper into poses and having more and more and more range of motion, that's not the agenda. 
And this misunderstanding brings out so many, so many divisions in the yoga world and so many people putting this on their agenda, which is something which has got to be, um, uh, which separates students, for example, into beginner, intermediate, and advanced. So, for example, I'm a yin yoga teacher trainer. Over and over and over and over and over and again, I get asked, oh, yin yoga, that's great. We should be having, uh, yin yoga gives you more range of motion because it stretches you. And I will say, no, that's actually not the idea. Yin yoga is not about range of motion at all. In fact, I don't want you to be going to end range of motion. I don't want you to be going to near where you think is your max. I don't. And so often students will be confused. They'll give me like, huh, but isn't deeper better? And I'll go, no, yoga student, deeper is not better. Let me say that again. Deeper is not better. There is a sweet spot, if you like. If, you're, if you know you are very, very stiff and very, very, very tight, then sure, more is better. But if you're double-jointed, if you're hypermobile, if you are already very bendy, and I would ask you to consider... Like people say, yeah, I'm still, I'm fairly bendy. Like I can, I can bend back in a Urdhvadhanarasana or Chakrasana pose and I can then walk my hands towards my heels, but I could still keep going. That's very bendy. You have to question why you keep going further and further and further and further. Whether it's in yin yoga, whether it's in ashtanga yoga, whether it's in ayanga yoga, whether it's in vinyasa yoga, why are you going further? Why? I would say a lot of us feel a need to keep going a deeper because we have a misunderstanding that deeper is healthier. And my little picture there is saying, no, that's not the case. Range of motion and health overlap, but they are not the same. Look outside of yoga, there are so many traditions of movement where range of motion is actually the enemy. I would propose, yoga people, and some of you won't like me for saying this, but I'm gonna say it anyway, there are three aspects to a healthy body. Range of motion is one, it's the one in yoga that we fetishize. Then, endurance is the other one, cardiovascular endurance. That's running, weightlifting, CrossFit, all that badass stuff. And the last one is strength. These three are important to your health. In yoga, we fetishize range of motion, but I know many people who come to a stretching yin class and you know they say to me, I can already I can already do crazy, you know, a wide angle forward falls lying down with my hat and my face flat on the floor. And I would say, yeah, I don't think you need to do that in yin. And actually, I might have a discussion with them. That I think they need to spend more time building strength, building endurance in their body, but I think specifically strength. 
So when I come back to these people who are double-jointed or hypermobile or are already very flexible and they come to a yin yoga class, for example, I would ask them, are you looking at these other aspects of your health? Are you looking at endurance and strength and not just stretching? And often they are not. They'll be doing Ashtanga and Yin, for example. And Ashtanga is already very, 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 very stretch-focused, by and large. love Ashtanga. I don't want to say anything against that practice at all. Every practice is, has its wonderful merits. And, but if you do Ashtanga and Yin, they're both very, very uh, flexibility-focused. Are you focusing on strength? and uh, cardiovascular um, conditioning, because those are the two other aspects you need to look at. So, double-jointed people. So now I can, I can step back. Like hypermobile people, well, don't go to your end range of motion. Double-jointed people, don't go to your end range of motion, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et Anyone who's got joint illness, has got arthritis or osteoporosis or if you know about variable anatomy, which is one of my specialties, wherever your end range of motion is, don't go there regularly. That's your end range of motion. And when you get there, simply put, you won't have as much strength to stop you going further than is healthy. So there you go. Simply put, range of motion and health overlap. But there's a sweet spot. More range of motion is not necessarily always good. Zero range of motion, like non-yoga people. Hey, I'm just going to sit on the couch and get as tight as hell. Well, you're making the same mistake. Poor range of motion, you're going to get old and tight and stiff. And when you hit some ice and wah, fall over, you're just going to fall over like that and break something. So zero range of motion is not good, but amazing range of motion is also not good. You want to be somewhere between those two. I hope that helps. And I know there are, I know there are a couple of people, who, uh, I've just seen their names go past, who are, uh, who are, um, who are been asking that question. Okay. Um, then I got one more question from Andrea. Andrea is saying... And uh, the question is on my Instagram uh, direct message, so I can't remember exactly the question, but she's saying, I've been doing uh, yoga for 10 years. I've been doing yin for uh, like a year and a half. Um, how come I'm not getting any more, any more flexible? I see my friends go on and they're doing this crazy stuff, but I seem to you know, wake up every Monday morning and I'm right back to where I started. Um, I don't seem to be getting, hey Angus, I don't seem to be getting any more flexible. Well, uh, well, Andrea, I think the other aspects of this that we have to look at, and I would highly uh, recommend that you spend some time with somebody you have a lot of respect for, is look at um, other two aspects of your life. Just like there are three aspects of um, uh, physical body training. And I'm influenced here very much by the Taoist three pillars of health, Jing, Qi, and Shen. So you're working hard on your Jing or your physical aspect of your practice. And I see this a lot in yoga people also. So I think it's a very pertinent question. 
you're working very, very hard on your physical practice and you're trying to get more flexible. I know you, you go to the gym, you're trying to get stronger. And I know you're doing a lot of cardio. So you're working on that a lot. But there are two other aspects, and I think this is relevant to your question uh, for um, flexibility. The other ones are um, your um, emotional and mental state. How much stress do you have in life? And I think your line of work, I think you're fairly, fairly, fairly intense. Um, anyone who knows Andrea, she's got an intense lifestyle. Imagine if you, you know, you do all your good stretchy stuff, but then you spend the rest of your time kind of like very intense, intensile in stuff which just makes you pull in. Well, that is gonna, you know, day of an hour of yoga every day, but then 10 hours of being tense, the balance is, is very, very, um, out of whack there. So you're gonna spend a lot of time working really hard on flexibility, but then you're gonna spend the rest of your day um, doing the opposite. I think you're gonna find, <laughs> yeah, your smiley face. I think you're gonna find that that, that balance, and I, I, I hear you, like way back, you know, 15 years ago, I was an office bod too. And I got into yoga because I was so tense and so stressed and uh, uh, now here I am, you know, 15 years later, um, I, I couldn't go back to that. And uh, because, because, you know, I was drinking and smoking cigars and all this kind of stuff and it's just, it's just I just couldn't get that balance right. The other aspect I think which, you, which I think is very worth looking at in these three is your diet. Um, I spent a long time uh, in March in some way with uh, Dr. Aaron Burlington, uh, who I sometimes work with for our Chinese medicine um, uh, module. And he spent tw uh, 30 hours talking about diet. Um, hey, Jacob, how's it going? Uh, the impact of diet, and I'm particularly thinking uh, drying foods like alcohol, sugar, salts, and fats. But that's an over mass oversimplification. Simplification. I'm not doing Dr. Aaron uh, any favors by simplifying like that. But I think you should take a huge look at um, your your diet. I think there would be aspects there which may be antagonistic to the goals that you have in terms of increasing your flexibility. Um, I'm not going to remember it now, but I'm going to try, I'm going to try and uh, figure it out. Let me see if I've got like 30 seconds. Um, there is a way of doing this. Uh, essentially, take your diet, go down to, for a month, go down to a very, very simple diet and cut out all of the big bad boys of the modern thing. So a lot of salt. Uh, go down to a very simple, fresh diet. Maybe, you know, sausage and, sausages and potatoes uh, or something very simple, bread, simple carbs, simple vegetables, and cut out all the processed foods for a long time. Maybe two, to, two weeks to four weeks. You got time, I think, now on your own. And then reintroduce 
some of the things that you really like, like dairy for two days and see if it makes a massive difference to, to how you feel, to your recovery. Then go back to your normal diet for a couple of days, then introduce sugar, like Easter eggs and chocolate and Coca-Cola. I don't know if you do that kind of stuff and see if that makes any difference. Then stop, get back to kind of like a very simple diet again. And then maybe introduce um, high salt food or gluten, for example. Gluten is a big one. Um, and that could be that could be other thing. So I would say you're doing the right stuff with your yoga, then your life is fairly stressful. But I think also look at your diet. Um, I think that would be very worthwhile. And uh, yeah, our nutrition course, the Dr. Aaron Burlington and I are are uh, uh, developing online should be uh, should have some of that stuff. Okay, that was kind of fun. I'm, I think my tea is still kind of warm. Yeah, so there we go. Dao De Jing Doctrine, uh, Chapter 19, uh, N range of motion health and uh, and uh, diet and other aspects of healthiness. Hey, Jacob. Hey, how's it going, dude? I hope you're, hope you're well. So we got, this is perfect. So we're going to finish our time uh, by just sitting for a couple of minutes, just as we began. So please take a comfortable seat. Possibly close your eyes. Soften your face. Simply return to an awareness of these two aspects of your mind. Just notice them. That's all. You are both of these. You are thinking intelligence, creativity, reflection, understanding. 
you are also simple experience. Bear hug, baby simplicity sometimes. Have a good one. Thank you very much for joining me. Take care. I'll see you around. See ya.